Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast. I am taping this. It is Sunday. It's Super Bowl Sunday, uh, February 12th, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, about 24 hours ago, Creighton knocked off UConn in Omaha in a a intense grinder of a game. 56-53 is the final score. And Creighton has now won eight in a row. So I'm going to be Blue Jay heavy on this podcast here. It, it's, you know, there's so many different things to talk about with Creighton right now. I, I recorded a pod uh, back on January 28th, January 29th in that area after Creighton beat Xavier. And simply the, the title of the pod and the, the name of the pod is is Creighton back? And my answer then was yes, and I still feel that way today. In fact, I feel better about Creighton today than I have all year. The way, it's not just the fact that Creighton continues to win, it's the way Creighton has won that has impressed me. I don't think they've really had their A game offensively the last three, four games, and yet they keep on winning. Villanova, Seton Hall on the road, and UConn at home, those were all toughness wins. Where, again, those were physical games where the offense wasn't necessarily humming, and Seton Hall got it going a little bit at times, but Nova, Seton Hall, UConn, those were all toughness games. And Creighton won all three of them because they were able to take their defense to that next level, whether it was for a full 40 minutes against UConn, when they needed it against Villanova, and in particular in the final you know, 12, 15 minutes of that game at Seton Hall, boy, did Creighton take their defense up to just another level. But you, you look at the past four games, nobody has scored more than 62 points on Creighton. That's pretty good, you know? Because sometimes, yeah, you got to look at defensive efficiency and points per possession and field goal percentage defense. But sometimes, you know, just how, how many points? I do think sometimes scoring defense matters too. Like how many how many points you holding your team, your opponent to? And so I, I just I look at Creighton and I it to me Creighton has officially found that defensive grit that it had at the end of last year, which in all reality was what propelled them to a great run in March. And so when you combine that with the potential offensive upside for this group. I really like that picture, you know? Now, to be fair, for a group with with a lot of good offensive weapons, it still is a little perplexing and interesting how this team sometimes can struggle to score. It's just, I don't know. Like, I go through, I'm like, I like Nemhard, I like Alexander, I like Kaluma, I like Shireman, I like Kulkbert. And then, you, you know, you go through the roster and you like all those pieces, but sometimes they, just, they can go these, have these stretches where they struggle to score. But I'll get to that in a second. But but this it, it, coming off that win over UConn, it's just so interesting. So again, I'm taping this. It's February 12th. So about two months ago, December 16th was the date. Creighton lost on the road at Marquette. That was their sixth loss in a row. And you took the temperature of things in Omaha, and you took the temperature of how things were around the program, and boy, 
it sure felt like the sky was falling. Creighton was labeled by a lot of national pundits and analysts and different people that cover the sport as one of the biggest disappointments, if not the biggest disappointment in the country. You know, preseason top 10 team got up as high as, what, sixth or seventh in the country after starting 6-0 and to just completely falling apart for a six-game stretch. And so you, you just snapshot that moment and fast forward it to two months later and Creighton is 11-2 and in their last 13 games. By the way, their only two losses in their last 13 games are on the road at UConn and on the road at Xavier. By the way, in that game, Creighton had a had the ball down two with 10 seconds left. So only two losses last 13 games at UConn, at Xavier. And Creighton now has won eight in a row, which is the nation's fifth longest active winning streak. And I was I was thinking about you know c- contrasting the you know just the roller coaster of the season, how things were two months ago, how things are now, and I just I, I was thinking about the value of just hanging in there, just hang in there. I know that sounds simple and sounds elementary and sounds like not a big deal, but it, it just. Those that can hang in there, stay in the fight, stay together, man, it's a valuable attribute, trait, characteristic to have. More often than not, in basketball and college basketball, hell, life, we don't have to get all philosophical in that regard, but you're going to hit some rough patches. To expect otherwise just isn't realistic. Now, I get it. We can't be disingenuous and act like the you know six game losing streak is a different kind of rough patch, right? But upon hindsight, now that we're we we how have the value of hindsight and we we're able to see where this team's now at and reflect on the six game losing streak and and when the quote unquote sky was falling. But upon hindsight, you know, I was trying to tell everyone at the time, but looking back on the struggles and and knowing Kalkbrenner wasn't healthy and now seeing them. When he is healthy, it kind of does feel silly that a lot of people were doubting this team and out on this team. Doesn't it it kind of feels silly? And I, I, I keep on thinking about a shoot-around conversation I had with Greg McDermott on December 22nd. I, it was the day that Creighton was hosting Butler. And again, they had just lost to Marquette. Uh, they, had, they were on the six-game losing streak. And I'm at the shoot around because I had the game on FS1, and and you know we're sitting there, and and I'm talking to Coach McDermott, and and Coach Mack turned to me, and he said something to the effect of, "Listen, man, the reality is until we start losing with all of our guys healthy and on the floor, I'm not going to panic." And that's such a simple, like the way he framed it, and that that simple way of putting it was like, yeah. That makes sense. Until until we start losing with all of our guys healthy and on the floor, I'm not going to lose confidence in this group or or panic. And he said it so matter of fact and and simply that it, it just it struck me and it stuck with me at the time and it still does. So simple, so true. And what he was really saying, obviously, is until Kalkbrenner's 100 percent and on the floor and this group can play 
as that unit and if they if if they start if they continue to lose or anything like yeah then I'll then I can maybe hit the panic button and worry about things but until then I'm not going to panic so simple so true so I think about that and then I think about the simple act of just hanging in there and then you think about the fact that it's a long season it's a long season and what's what's hard is when you're a team with such high preseason hype and expectations, it, you know, this can go for Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, you know, the teams that were hyped up that have struggled or even Creighton at the time. Like when you are one of those teams, you are so often thinking about March for that group. But you always got to remember, you got a long ways to go to get to March. And I think one of the issues, not to make this about, like with Carolina or Kentucky, like I think I think Carolina got so close last year, made the run, get the national championship game, all, all, four of their five starters coming back, you know, a lot of their core group all coming back. The, I think they just wanted to fast forward and get right back to March. And I think they've they've let up a little bit. They're flawed in that regard. Not, I mean, like Caleb Love shoots a lot. I think the Pete Nance, Brady Manick – one in, one out at that four spot has altered things, but I think some of it is that. I think same thing with Kentucky. Kentucky had a good year last year. They get upset by St. Peter's in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Oscar Shibway comes back. They got a good team on paper. I think I think a lot of those guys just wanted to get back to March. I want to get back to the the 15-2 game in NCAA tournament and, and win that game. It's like, well, it's long ways to get there. It's a long season. So you have to understand that. Hang in there. It's a long season. You can't fast forward to March. You can't freak out because you're losing in November because of March. And just like Greg McDermott said, until we start losing with all our guys healthy and on the floor, I'm not going to panic. And I think I think Greg McDermott's steady confidence and, and really not showing any panic during the, those tough times, served this group well to, to weather that storm. Because I, I, I think back to that six-game losing streak, and man, it did feel like the sky was falling. I remember talking to, you know, I was in Vegas when they lost to BYU and Arizona State. I called both those games on Fox. The whole vibe around the group was like, it was, you could feel that the confidence was shaking a little bit with that group. But Coach McDermott was pretty steady, pretty confident. He never showed any panic. Because... It, from the outside looking in, and even with some of the players and reading some of the body language stuff, like there, there was a little bit of the sky was falling for some of those guys, you know. And for the players, you know, they're hearing and feeling all that stuff. Biggest disappointment in the country. Oh, so overrated. Oh, God, can you believe how bad this team is? On and on and on and on. And that stuff can get to you as a player. It can. And, you know, it's easy to forget how young a lot of these guys are. Nemhard, Alexander, Kaluma, they're all true sophomores. Frederick King's a freshman. Mason Miller's a redshirt freshman. I mean, five of their top eight or nine guys are freshmen and sophomores. Kalkbrenner's a junior. Shireman, Farabello, Sharif Mitchell, they're seniors. But, you know, Farabello's new. Shireman's new. Sharif Mitchell's coming off a medical redshirt. Shireman's only been in the Summit League. You know, like, you know, but this team's got a lot of youth in big spots. And I think Greg McDermott staying positive, staying calm, staying consistent with the team, I think really helped them. Because as a coach in those spots, 
when when you hit a little adversity, you hit a rough patch. You're not playing well. You lose a few games. And, you know, as a coach, you you can either just get after their ass, make life miserable at practice, absolutely, you know, go go completely red face screaming at them. And to be honest, I played for two coaches who were like this. Bill Self, Dane Altman were like this. Practices were miserable. Film sessions were miserable. They would get after you and rip you a new one every single day until you got it right. And I'm not going to lie, sometimes the biggest motivator to win and get it back on track was to, to get the coaches off your ass, to get Bill Self and Dana Altman off your ass. Stop the terrible daily life that you were in. So you, you can either go that route or... You can stay calm. You can stay positive. Stay the course. Stay no panic. And that's what Coach McDermott did. Because he also mentioned in that chat on December 22nd at, second at that shoot-around at, before the Butler game, because I asked him about his approach with that. I said, you know, are you getting at, like, what's your approach right now? Like, in practice, are you just, are you on their ass? Or are you trying to stay positive with them? And... He brought up social media and how that changes the dynamic of things now and how rough that can be on the players. I remember him telling me, he's like, oh, I'm staying positive. You know, because he said, he listened, he goes, these guys are getting killed enough from everyone on social media. They don't need to hear it from me. And, you know, I've talked about this before on other pods, but I think Greg McDermott is very good in this regard for today's athlete. Because I don't want to go like, man, back in my day, we would. But there's, I do think because of social media and just, you know, the way life and things evolve, like, I do think today's player is a little different than even when I was playing back in, you know, from 03 to 08. And certainly from, you know, in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s. I do think times have changed in that, that old school, just screaming coach who just makes every practice a war and anytime you turn it over they are in your ass screaming and yelling cussing guys all the time I think it's harder to be like that now I think it's harder to be like that and so the 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 I had a coach call it CPR, coach-player relationship. Like when your CPR is rock solid where you can connect with each player and, and be calm with them, like that that's where Greg McDermott's pretty good. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza and the cold winter months. It's officially here. And as a warm weather lover myself, the cold can kind of bum me out. But the one thing that always puts a huge smile on my face when it gets cold Temperature Tuesdays at Runza. Yes, it's that time of the year. Temperature Tuesdays are back at Runza, where every Tuesday in January and February, the 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Think about it. An original Runza sandwich might be 10 cents, a dime, might be a nickel, might be a quarter. Heck, might even be one penny. Just one penny. So make sure you take advantage of this incredible deal every single Tuesday at Runza where the temp at 6 a.m. in Runzaland is the price you pay for an original Runza sandwich and you buy a medium fry and a medium drink. It's back, baby. Temperature Tuesdays. Runza makes it all better. Now, listen, there's a time you got to, you know, you got to go 
dog cuss them, do rebounding drills, dive on loose balls, make it a war, right? Like there, because be, there are times for that, but there are times you got to do what Greg McDermott did. So shout out to him and how he's navigated all this, and he stayed calm, he stayed positive, and I think that allowed this group to weather the storm. And here they are, two months after the storm was was at its peak. And it's it's pretty amazing to contrast that, where they had just lost six in a row back on December 16th. The fact that Creighton was, they were at one point three and three in conference play. They started three and three in Biggie's play. You think about that, and then think about after this weekend, Creighton finds themselves only a half game back from the top of the conference standings. Creighton, excuse me, Xavier lost at Butler. Providence lost at St. John's. So the top of the Big East standings look like this. Marquette's at 12-3. and three, Creighton's at 11-3. and three, Xavier's at 11-3. and three, And Providence is at 10-4. and four. So it's pretty amazing to think that Creighton is now in pretty good position to potentially win the Big East regular season title. Creighton still's got, you know, they got some tough games, especially this week. They got to go to two Providence on Valentine's Day on Tuesday. Also got road games at Villanova and at St. John's. They're going to be really tough. Creighton also gets Marquette at home on the 21st, which could be absolutely massive. But man, to just think about the journey of this year of sky is falling to being in position to maybe win the Big East regular season crown. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Ratings update for 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 Creighton because it's so interesting, especially now with when you think about you know Selection Sunday. We're about what are we five weeks away from Selection Sunday. The net rankings as of today, again February twelfth, Creighton is thirteenth. Ken Palm, Creighton is ranked tenth. Sagarin, Creighton is ranked eleventh. Torvik, Creighton is ranked tenth. And ESPN's BPI, Basketball Power Index, Creighton is ranked ninth. Pretty amazing. So, you know, according to a lot of, other than the AP coaches poll, where Creighton's, you know, around that, around 20th, these other ratings and computers and metrics and different stuff, they see Creighton as a top 10 team, top 10, 12 team. And I, I think that's right. Like, I Creighton is in that top 10 to 15 teams in the country. In fact, I put a pen to paper. Here are the 10 teams I believe in the most right now. February 12th, 2023. We're about five weeks away from Selection Sunday. If we had to snapshot it and say, who are the 10 teams you believe in the most in all of college basketball? Here would be the 10 teams. This is in no order. I'm not ready to go that crazy with it. These are, this is in no order, but here are the 10 teams. UCLA, Arizona, Texas, Kansas, Baylor, Alabama, Purdue, Houston, Tennessee, Creighton. Right now, today, gun to my head, I got to pick 10 teams that I'm rolling with that I believe in more than anyone else. Those are the 10 teams. Those are the 10 teams. UCLA, Arizona, Texas, Kansas, Baylor, Alabama, Purdue, Houston, Tennessee, and Creighton. I really, truly believe Creighton is in that conversation right now. I really believe that. 
Now, that's not to say that Creighton's perfect. They're far from perfect, right? Like for the, for for those rankings and what I'm just talking about to be validated, I do think two things in particular got to get better. The first one is bench production. We've been a broken record on this on this podcast. We've talked about it a ton. They've had a few straight games of zero bench points. Uh and this is an area that just continues to be an issue. Although I will say this past week, the bench was pretty good this week for, for the Blue Jays. At Seton Hall and at home against UConn, Mason Miller and Sharif, uh, Sharif Mitchell were huge this week. I don't think Creighton wins both games without those two guys. I know the stat sheets and the box scores wouldn't necessarily tell you that. But I don't know if Creighton is 2-0 this past week against Seton Hall and, and UConn without those two. But Creighton overall, the, the bench has been... Whew, Man, they got to get more. And golly, this this is an area where I was just so dead wrong. You know, and the part of it was going to practice and seeing them before the year, and then also what Greg McDermott told me in my preseason conversation with him. I remember sitting in his office mid October, mid to late October, and he told me he said, "I think this is the deepest team I've had at Creighton." And I th- I thought he was right. It just hasn't pan it hasn't panned out like that. Now, for those that haven't heard Greg McDermott kind of expand on on why the bench has maybe struggled a little bit, let me let me kind of expand on it. Keep in mind a few things when you're thinking about, man, what is with the bench? So w- with the bench, keep in mind, Creighton played a really, 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 really tough non-conference schedule. And almost every single game in the non-con was a dogfight, like down to the final four minutes. So there were limited opportunities to play the bench guys extended minutes. And that's how you get in a rhythm, how you get in a flow, how you get comfortable. Even games like St. Thomas to start the year ended up being a, a, a game that Creighton had to fight all the way till the end to win. That's a game, for instance, on the schedule, you go, okay, St. Thomas, that's going to be a game. We're going to be able to get our bench guys in a lot and get them you know, some valuable game, game minutes, game reps, get it on film. And they couldn't do that. Not to mention, obviously, you know, all the games in Maui, then Texas, uh, then the Nebraska game, then uh, then you know, close games to the final buzzer against BYU and Arizona State. So there's that. And then there is the reality of Creighton doesn't foul. Checking today, Creighton ranks number one in the country in fewest fouls per game. They're about 12 per game. You may be going, Nick, what does not fouling have to do with this? Let me explain. First of all, number one, very rarely are starters in foul trouble. Doesn't happen a lot, which impacts the bench. And then number two, because Creighton doesn't foul, you can have these long stretches without a whistle where two to three minutes can go by and there isn't a stoppage. So the opportunities to sub can be fewer. So conversely, if you're Greg McDermott, you also know that as you're subbing. Meaning, if you know you want to get Kalkbrenner or Shireman or Nemhard a breather, Okay, you're it's also, you know, it's you're in a close game and if you throw a sub out there, 3 minutes of game time might elapse before you can put your starters back in the game. Which that can be a little tricky. You can go, okay, it's we're at the 12:35 mark, media timeouts coming at 12. Let, let, okay, let's get Shireman, Kalkbrenner and Nemhart out of there. 
uh, let's put let's let's put Farabello, Frederick King, and Mason Miller in there. Well, all of a sudden, you can go from the twelve thirty five mark to the nine twenty two mark, and there hasn't been a stoppage. And a you know a, a game can flip. So there's that as well. I think the the not fouling has impacted things too. So that, but the bench, the bench has to has to get better. I still want to see more out of the bench. They don't have to be, you know, lighting the world on fire, a bunch of Vinnie Johnsons out there, or anything like that. But it's got to be consistently better. And then the other thing, even though the analytics, the computers, Ken Palm's, Torvik's of the world, like they still kind of like Creighton's offense. Ken Palm has Creighton's offensive efficiency ranked twenty eighth. In America, Torvik has Creighton's offense ranked as 24th in in America. I still feel like there's this team has a surprisingly amount of stretches where they can kind of struggle to score. Just I don't and I think a lot of that probably comes back to pure shooting. Outside of uh, of the guys that play extended minutes, outside of Shireman and Trey Alexander, this team just isn't a great shooting team. And tell you what, you found out on Saturday versus UConn, when Creighton can't get Kalkbrenner shots at the rim and Kalkbrenner isn't scoring in one-on-one post-up situations and, and they're not getting the pick-roll flip-ups to the rim and all that stuff, like all of a sudden Creighton can really have a hard time scoring. So I'll just be, I'll be interested to see how the the off how Creighton continues to take take strides on offense because that that has to happen. It's a, it's a good offense. I think the pieces are there. Just want to see a little more consistency, and I just I still think there's another level for for the offense to get to pace in half court transition, all of it. So there you go. Huge four game stretch now for Creighton, man at Providence, at St. John's, Marquette at home, at Villanova. Three of the next four on the road. This is probably going to tell the tale. These four games are going to probably shape up who wins the, the league. If Creighton go 3-1 and one in the next four games, I think you're likely looking at hanging another Big East championship banner. Pretty amazing to say that. Considering where this team was on December 16th, having lost six in a row, considering the fact that this team started three and three in conference play. This season to me, though, man, it's a lesson in just hanging in there. Don't panic. Stick together. Keep working. Hang in there. Hang in there. Uh, okay, to wrap this up, I got uh, I must I think I got parent teacher conferences on my mind because I got my daughter's parent teacher conference this week. Hear how first grade is going, which is always fun. Uh, how about a little, a little, a little conference meeting time with with the players on the roster? Where if if we were doing a, a parent teacher conferences, just player player Uncle Nick conferences, where I'm gonna uh, let me go through the roster and give you kind of what I'm seeing and how I'm feeling with each guy. Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner, guy's playing incredible, man. Night he 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 didn't play great against UConn. But man, as Danny Hurley put it after the game, he said, "He said Kalkbrenner just spooks you at the rim. He he just spooks you at the rim. And in that UConn game, he 
he made the two biggest defensive plays of the game in crunch time. He's got the he had the steal on the baseline on the intra pass to Sonogo, and then I think it was the next possession he got switched on to Jordan Hawkins and slid his feet and made him miss a layup at the rim. Ran him off the line, got him to drive it, altered a shot at the rim. But he's second nationally in field goal percentage, shooting 71% from the field. I mean, I think Kalkbrenner's right now, I think he's going to win Big East Defensive Player of the Year again, and I think he's a first-team all-Big East guy. He could be the player of the year in the league if Creighton wins the league. He He's playing fantastic. It's interesting. Sonogo is kind of a weird matchup for him because Sonogo, you, you saw in that game, if you watched it, Kalkbrenner has, a for as strong as he is, what's weird is it's hard to displace him defensively. Like when he when he gets his base set and gets his feet underneath him and guys are trying to kind of back him down, you can't move him. But what's weird is he has a hard time moving guys like backing them down with crab dribbles. You know, some big guys can just, you know, bang, bang, you know, crab dribble, spin, crab dribble, and all of a sudden they're at, you know, eight feet and they can hit the little jump hook. He couldn't do that. He, he has a hard time with that. He is a really, really good post scorer who has to have close proximity to the rim on his post catch. And so Sonogo in that game did a good job of making all of his catches a little bit out of the scoring area. And then Sonogo would just plant his feet and Kalkbrenner couldn't back him down. But he he's a he's an improved post scorer. He's so good at on those pick and rolls, catching and finishing at the rim. He's just got unbelievable hands. He had one finish, I think it was against Providence, where he was rolling and caught a roll in the air from Nemhart, I think it was. Might have been Trey Alexander. He was backwards. His his back was to the basket. He was able to catch and finish it right over his head. Like shit's not easy. Go out, go out, if you're at a gym, go have someone kind of Set a pick, roll the rim, and have someone catch it, throw it to you, and you got to catch it in the air and know where you're at and lay it softly. And he's really good. He's playing great. Ryan Nemhard, he's playing better. He's scoring better. He hit a little bit of a rough patch, uh, kind of kind of when Creighton was three and three to start the league. But he has really started to play better in the last handful of you know six, seven, eight games here in this eight game winning streak. So good in ball screens, you know, which is a cornerstone to everything Creighton does in the half court offensively. Uh, I mean, he's just so good. It's it's so hard to speed him up, and you know, he, he's his defense against Sule Boom and that Xavier win at home was admirable. I just I like where Nemhard's at right now. I like everything about that guy right now. Now it's still huge for him to be able to make enough threes to keep the defense honest and keep them thinking twice about going under on ball screens because the the fact if he, if he can make enough shots to where you have to go over those screens well that opens up the the pick roll lob that that unlocks everything if people can just go under those ball screens a lot of your pick and roll offense is different but i like where nemhard's at right now Baylor Shireman, he's honestly a guy that he's playing at a first-team All-Big East level. He's so much more comfortable with his role and how Creighton does things on both ends of the floor right now compared to to where he was in November and even December. It's just so important to Creighton. He's just the – while Kalkbrenner's the MVP, Shireman kind of is the spark. He just – he gets them to – he's the yeast in the bread. He just gets them to rise. For whatever reason, he just he's the best passer on the team. 
He's really good at getting in the paint, playing off two, making things happen. He's also by far the best pure post-entry passer to Kalkbrenner. If you notice, a lot of Creighton set plays to try to get Kalkbrenner a post-touch. It's always Kalkbrenner, or it's always Shireman throwing it into him, which matters for them offensively. But he's just got he's got that special it quality to him where he just he when he plays well it it brings everyone else up he connects the group he's kind of got that killer mentality to him you know he closes out that Seton Hall game back to back threes just to you know end it finishing move I, I like where he's at too I really do Trey Alexander much like Shireman there's a world where Trey Alexander has an argument to be a first team all big east guy now again you're not going to have 15 big east all big east first team guys but I'm just I'm saying guys that are in the you know if you're in a room right now and you're figuring out who's first team all big east I mean you you got to throw those guys on the board not saying they would get it right now but they're on the board but 27 against Villanova he had 17 against UConn he was in foul trouble for almost the whole game when he was on the floor he was scoring at a really high clip he's such an improved three-point shooter 41 percent from three he's playing really well right now too and I will say I want to see a little more from him as a as the perimeter defensive stopper that's who that's you know he guards the other team's best perimeter player I think there's another level for him to go there he's not quite as good as I want to see him there I think it's in him. I think he's long. I think he's rangy. I think he can do all those things. I want to see him be able to anticipate actions better, just be a little – I think he just needs to go up another level there. But I really like how Trey Alexander's playing too. Arthur Kaluma. You know, been a little up and down at times. Um, but I will say in his defense, I think some of that is just the nature of how, how the game flows and how Creighton plays. Creighton is the kind of – you know, they play in a way and they're the kind of team where it could be a different guy each night. Like he had 20 against Xavier, but he had two against UConn. Shireman really struggled against Villanova, but had, you know, whatever it was, 17 or 19 against Seton Hall. Like it, it's gonna, it could be a different guy each night depending on matchups and how the game flows. And, you know, they just move the ball and the ball finds the open man. And if you happen to be the open man, well, then game on. But with all that said, I also think it's a two-way street. Like, it's always about shot selection and and ball movement with him. I, my, my, my line in my head, I've never said this, like, on the line. I always uh, – Kaluma's got the stickiest hands on the team, meaning that, you know, people talk about the ball can stick with a guy instead of just you know, the way it moves. Like, the ball can stick with him where he can catch it and he can stop and he does that shot fake and that slow jab and then it's pound it, pound it. Then he puts his back to the guy and he tries to back him down and now all of a sudden everything's come to a halt. And he can force some shots, force some drives. He's got to just continue to buy into, I think it's just, it's all about decisive, decisiveness for him. When he catches it, shoot it, drive it, or move it. Shoot it, drive it, or move it. Shoot it, drive it, or move it. Wash the syrup off your hands. Get them. Stop the stickiness. Because when when he does that, he's he's a handful. I always prefer him attacking the rim and attacking the paint over settling for jump shots and over dribbling. Because he's one of those guys. Like with each dribble, the chances of him turning it over, either losing control of the ball or a charge, like just goes up exponentially with each dribble. Like he he's one of those dude. He's like a two, three, four, five dribble max guy. 
He's not a Kyrie Irving, da da da, you know, but, but hanging cross between the legs, between the legs, pound it, pound it, cross, cross, cross. No, like he's a he's a he's a two three dribble max guy right now. Not saying he can't eventually become better in that regard, but that's who he is right now. But man, Kalum is so talented and so important. He, you just, I, I just, you want to see some of the some of the consistency improve. But again, in his defense, some of it's just kind of how the game flows and goes. Francisco Farabello has been sick. He's been out. Uh, in, in some ways, I don't mean this to be negative or mean, but I'm telling you, I really, I think Farabello not being available versus UConn might have saved the game for Creighton. Because it forced Greg McDermott to go with Sharif Mitchell instead of Farabello when Trey Alexander got into foul trouble. And Sharif Mitchell is a much better defensive player than Farabello, and he's much better suited to chase Jordan Hawkins around off screens, which was enormously important. But, you know, Farabello's been fine overall. Like, he, he's a guy that's he, he's been in the right spots, he's been solid. Um, I will say this like, as a former shooter, like I'm one of those dudes like you, you, you like you are what your percentage says you are and over the course of a of a you know I'm I'm not saying you can't go in slumps but over the course of I mean we're in February like you, you're a real shooter you, I'm still waiting I guess what I'm saying I'm still waiting for that real 40% three point shooter to show up in Farabella He's what 8 for 26 in Big East play from threes 30% from 3 on the season and all I'm saying is dude's getting wide open looks from three and he's just not making enough of them he's just not and that's he's got to start making threes because if he gets hot or hell even starts just shooting it at 40 percent that changes things quite a bit because all of a sudden if you're now bringing a couple of 40 percenters off the bench him and mason miller like that changes things so he he's got he's he's like I get it he's in the right spots he's solid totally agree with you. you bro you are a shooter you gotta start making shots it's time it's time Sharif Mitchell I still think he could be an X factor he's a lead on the ball defensively maybe that UConn game could be a turning point for him uh, he seemingly battled some confidence issues being in and out of the lineup he's kind of become the whipping boy for a lot of the fans which is unfortunate. Uh, and while he's never been a good shooter, he's a capable player to help you in big games. I The reason I say that, because I fucking saw it two years ago when they went to the Sweet 16, and he was on the floor in big spots making big plays. Now, again, he's not ever going to be a guy that's going to go for 22-9, and nine, but defensively making a few plays could be another guy that can initiate offense or get in the paint. Like, he's capable. Sometimes confidence and a rhythm is just a game away and a play away and hopefully the way that UConn game unfolded and way this week unfolded even playing at Seton Hall hopefully he's in a good mode uh Frederick King he's been fine man he's been solid uh I like Fred a lot you know his situation is pretty obvious like Fred here's the thing dude you're gonna get two to four minutes each half and around the probably around the 12 minute media timeout and maybe the eight minute media timeout you're gonna have to spell Kalkman for a, a bit and that's it come in be solid no reason for you to pace yourself empty the gas tank in that two to three four minute span run the floor set screens roll hard fight your ass off and empty the tank on defense and on the glass that's that's his job and he's doing it for the most part for the most part he's doing it Mason Miller 
Mason Miller's been pretty good, man. Like, outside of Shireman and Trey Alexander, he's the guy I trust most to hit a wide-open three right now. You know, you, you look at him, he's shooting 41% from three, by the way. Uh, but I, that, that Seton Hall game on the road, I, I think he made the play that swung the game, that might have saved the game. Second half, uh, Creighton was on the ropes a little bit, and Mason Miller dove on a loose ball, he got it, and then he passed it out, and then hit a three on the very same possession. And it felt like that sparked Creighton to go on a run and close out the game. Uh, but Miller plays hard. Uh, you can tell he comes from a basketball family. He gets it. He can clearly shoot it. Like I said, 41% from three. His issues at times are strength and defensively just containing and guarding the ball. Teams kind of hunt him when he comes into the game. So when he's on the floor, he's just got to – I've been there, man. I was the guy that got hunted when I came in. He's got to fight. Make catches tough. Understand where your help's at. Work. Just fight your ass off, right? And he's done that. I like how he's played. I, I really, really do like how he's played. And, and so that's it, really, for the guys that, that play. Ben Stolzberg's got to hang in there. You know, it's hard. I get it. You've lived your whole life where you're the man. You're playing the whole game. You're getting the whole, you know, all the shots. And all of a sudden, you get a lot of games where you don't take off your warm-up jersey and you get a lot of DNPs. And it's hard. I totally get it. Just got to hang in there. Stay locked in. Just hang in there. So I, I want to do that for for a quick run through Creighton's roster and kind of give a little a little conference on on where I'm at with some of those guys. So, yeah, man, I, one month from Selection Sunday, pretty remarkable two month stretch here for for Creighton and and where they've uh, they've turned this thing around. Eleven and two in the last thirteen games, they've won eight in a row, and they are at, they are right in position to potentially win the Big East. Pretty amazing considering where this this group was. But not surprising, because as Greg McDermott said, I'm not going to panic until I see this whole group on the floor healthy and together. And now they're, you know, Kalkbrenner's healthy. Everybody's together on the floor. You see what they look like. So big games coming up, man. Three of the next four on the road, probably going to tell the tale for the Blue Jays. But it's been an impressive, impressive couple of months stretch here for Creighton to right the ship to put themselves in position to, to potentially achieve some of their preseason goals and potentially meet the expectations that were heaped upon this group before the year started. Pretty amazing to watch. A Heard at Sports Network production.